Wendell's world in sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Bonjour, bonsoir. Monsieur, mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Konnichiwa, shalom, wassalam alaikum. What is happening? What is going on? Namaste. Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. And yes, of course. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Everything is going great. I hope everything is going great in your world. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. I hope that you're doing well. I hope that you're doing great. I hope that you're doing everything that you need to do to make this world, to make this place, to make your neighborhood, to make your community, to make your region, to make your state, to make your country, to make your world a much better place to be in than it was about 15 seconds ago. And let the person that you love the most, let them know. How much you love them. Even if they roll your eyes, even if they go, uh-huh, even if they kind of disrespect you that way, just let them know. Hey, you know what? I love you. So get this world going in a positive, loving, unified uh, way. So there you go. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. Yours truly, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us today on this podcast. I'm doing it while I'm watching the Georgetown Hoyas basketball game, their first round tournament against Marquette. So if I'm going to be if I'm doing a podcast, or if I'm doing the podcast today, and I'm talking about Dak Prescott, or I'm talking about the NFC Least, or I'm talking about the NBA, or anything like that, and then mid-sentence about talking about what the chances of the Dallas Cowboys are to win the Super Bowl, I go, come on, Julie, pass the damn ball! You know that I'm watching my Georgetown Hoyas play. If I'm talking about something super relevant regarding the NFL, and I all of a sudden shout out, Jamarco, stop driving and pull up for the jumper. Please, no more jabs and jabs, and then go to the poop and try to finish because you can't. Or maybe, Dante, Dante, finish, man, you gotta finish. Or, Don Carey, can you guard anybody? Or, Patrick, just put him, I mean, we can't put in Sibley, we can't put in Clark Berger, anybody? Anybody? Anybody for Javon Blair? Because if I have to see him take another contested 21-foot step-back jumper, I'm going to take my TV and throw it out the goddamn window. So if you see me in that mood while I'm talking about, <laughs> while I'm talking about something, I'm just here to let you know that I'm going to be, I'm watching the Georgetown game as I'm uh, doing this podcast. Just a little experimentation to see how my energy levels are while I'm hyped. Um, have the game recorded on my DVR. So if there's anything in terms of, what I need to uh, take a second look at while I'm doing the uh, while I'm doing the podcast, I can always go back and take a look. So it looks like they're going to be up by a pretty decent margin at halftime. But the way Marquette's playing, man, you know what? If you're going to show up, if you're going to perform like this, y'all shouldn't have showed up. I mean, I don't know what the deal is with Steve Wojciechowski and his group, but man, they're playing like um, they're playing like Georgetown. So you know, they just need to. Uh, I mean, if you want to continue to play like that and get Patrick Ewing his first Big East tournament win hey you know I'm all for it but when Georgetown is up by 10 15 20 like with 
20, 25 minutes to go in the game, I'm still not comfortable. That game against uh, Connecticut on the uh, weekend, where they got down 12 nothing, it was like, all right, ball game, game's over. <laughs> I can see by the way they're playing, they ain't coming back from this, and that the league continued to grow and grow and grow for Connecticut. I was like, you, you just, I mean... We can't put in Colin Holloway. I mean, how how far do we have to be down before we play the kids, Coach? You know, I'm not there at practice. I don't know these kids personally. You know much more about basketball than I do than I will ever know. I give it to you. I understand. It's just we're down by 30, and you're still playing Javon Blair and Jamarco Pickett and Chudier Bile while we have Kobe Clark and T.J. Berger and Jabari Sibley and sitting on the bench. <sighs> Anyway, but Georgetown is doing well so far. At least they're in the, in the lead. So that's what I'm doing in terms of doing this podcast. Going to be talking about some NFL news. I think there's some cow, there's some uh, quarterback in Dallas. I think he signed for a couple of bucks with the uh, professional football team out there. I think I might want to talk about that just a tad. And what does it mean for that team? And then move on and talk about the second half of the NBA is starting tonight and get into that a little bit. But uh yeah, but I'm going to be doing that while watching the Georgetown basketball game. So hold on to your seats. Here we go. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So let's go ahead and start, huh? NFL news. Dallas and Dak are finally a relationship. They are reunited. And man, it feels so good. It feels so good for the Prescott family. It feels good for his agent. It feels good for a lot of people. But uh, the Dallas Cowboys... And quarterback Deb Prescott agreed to a four-year, $160 million contract. Let's not concentrate on the 160 because let's concentrate on the number 126 because that's how much that money is guaranteed. Prescott's signing bonus is $66 million, the highest in NFL history, with a record $75 million due in day one. And the man's 27 years old. Goodness gracious, sakes alive. Just think about it for a second. Could you imagine getting that amount of money? What would you do with it? I mean, in terms of, look, you know, after taxes, he's probably going to be somewhere. I mean, with the $66 million signing bonus after taxes, we're probably looking at a take-home rate once he pays his agent and everything of somewhere around 28, 29 mil. If I could put 28, 29 mil in your account right now, put it in your savings, put it in your checking, whatever. Woo-wee! I would still substitute teach. I would still be going up to Mesquite tomorrow to uh, go ahead and... and uh, and uh, go to class and proctor those classes along with Monday and Tuesday. But man, once the school year was over, mm, 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 if I had myself $28 million put in the bank, good Lord have mercy. I wouldn't move, wouldn't do anything drastic. But uh, yeah, that nice little house, that nice little condo in Toronto, a nice little place downtown Vancouver, and then give me a place back, back east in Albany, Maryland. Yeah, that would probably be my uh, first couple of things I do. But congratulations to Dak Prescott, man, for that money that he's getting. Now, according to a source, the first three years of the deal, he's averaging $42 million per. That's according to the source. And let me see here what else when we're talking about that. The Prescott also has a no-trade clause in this deal along with Dallas having to uh, franchise Prescott this week while it works out the details of the extension. So he's going to get paid. And based on his contract value at the signing, it makes him the highest paid player in NFL history. You think? <laughs> so players who are averaging, the only players who are averaging $40 million per season is Kansas City's Patrick Mahomes and 
for right now, Houston's Deshaun Watson. So you take a look at the highest paid quarterback this upcoming season. You've got Patrick Mahomes making 45 mil. You've got Dak Prescott making 40. Deshaun Watson, 39. Russell Wilson, 35. Aaron Rodgers, $33.5 million. Not too bad. Mama, let your boys grow up to be quarterbacks in the NFL. So if the Cowboys would have franchised him, and everybody speaks about the number, look, oh my goodness, we're talking about... Um, Prescott making around 40 mil or a little bit over 40 mil. And this is unbelievable. This is great. Really, if the Cowboys would have said, you know what? We're going to go ahead and we're going to do what the Redskins. Shoot. We're going to do what the uh, Snyder Skins, the Washington team, did for Kurt Cousins in terms of franchising him every year. If Dallas would have gone ahead and Kurt Cousins, Dak Prescott, he still would have been making almost $39 million this season. So when we take a look at this income that he's going to be making the difference between holding out waiting for more money and signing the extension or signing the deal really isn't that uh, big of a difference even though i mean who am i to be talking about uh two two million dollars or something like that it really isn't a big difference huh you got two million dollars you want to give me since it's not a big difference shit so prescott's uh, annual salary cap number for this season is going to be 22 million dollars so that would have been $37.7 million if they would have placed the franchise tag on them. So the savings of $15.5 million against the salary cap allows the Cowboys to go ahead and see what they can do to shore up the defense. They've got a lot of big-ticket players, if you think about it. Prescott now to go along with Amari Cooper and Jalen Smith and Ezekiel Elliott. So you know, if the Cowboys are going to have to do some things in terms of uh, – philandering with the salary cap to see what they can do to again uh, fix a porous defense so it's a big win as i mentioned before for prescott his next window into the extension negotiations which would have taken place after the third year of the deal following the 2023 season that's when he's going to be up again that's going to take place during a massive financial windfall for the nfl revenues that's going to include a new television deal and Basically, you're going to start having fans back into the uh, stadium, hopefully, if not 100%, damn near close to 100%. So, you know, with everything that's going to be the salaries and the salary cap and everything, it's going to be booming during that year. So what Prescott is gambling on is continue to be a top-flight franchise quarterback. And then when he comes up for a free agency at, again at the age of 31, and we see how well Aaron Rodgers is playing in his late 30s. We see how well Tom Brady is playing. We see how well Drew Brees played into his early 40s. That Prescott is going to be sitting there talking about, you know what, I can continue to make this type of money. 31 might be bad for running backs. 31 might be bad for pass rushers. 31 might be bad for certain positions in the NFL, but it's turning out to be a golden situation for NFL quarterbacks. The way that the league is protecting the quarterbacks right now, Tom Brady is showing you, not just with the TB12, but by the way, the league is protecting these quarterbacks that, yeah, if you've got good genes and you take care of yourself and you start early enough in that process of trying to elongate your career as much as possible, then yeah, guess what? You can be playing, if you're 31, another 10, 12 years at a high level. So with Prescott, that's what he's planning on doing. So if he becomes a free agent right at the time where there's going to be a financial boom for franchises in the NFL, well, then what's to say that he's not going to be able to get a contract that's going to be worth close to $50 million, if that's going to be the case. You take a look at Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he's going to be set now for the next 11, 12 years, even though I'm quite sure if salaries go totally out of whack 
And Mahomes continues to be what he is right now, the most valuable player in football to an organization that he will restructure his deal to uh, have him be compensated for that. But you're taking a look now. If Dak Prescott plays the game right, this guy's going to be getting another two or three huge contracts, averaging about three or four years in length. So good for him, man. Good for him and good for him to continue to bake on himself. And I guess, you know, he could be a little, a little bit more chesty and bold in the fact that he was willing to uh, take less years, even though, or he settled on less years, even though he had that gruesome ankle injury, that leg injury. So even a devastating injury is not going to curtail teams from wanting to uh, go ahead and pay. There's a great example with um, Derek Carr. Well, he broke his ankle. He still got paid. So there's been numerous evidence. There's been numerous uh, examples of Dante. Jesus, fuck. There have been numerous examples of quarterbacks who, despite, you know, might not having the best of circumstances in terms of the injury is concerned, still getting the opportunity to uh, get paid. And you take a look at what the league is going right now. In a couple of years, for some reason, if Prescott wants to uh, pull a Deshaun Watson and not want to play for the franchise anymore his contract makes it a lot less uh, doable for a team to uh, trade for him and the Cowboys to get rid of him without any type of really harmful ramifications of doing that so it's a win-win situation for both squads and or both uh, units I should say the Cowboys organization and Dak Prescott's team Jesus what a shot so it's going to be a good situation with that so Fans should be back in full force, as I mentioned before, starting no later than, I think, the 2022 season. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we have this guy in Texas, Greg Abbott, talking about he's going to open up the entire state and let the uh, folks decide who's going to be wearing masks and who's going to be responsible. So don't know what the outcome of that's going to be. The vaccines in this country are starting to uh, roll. We have the Johnson vaccine that's starting to be available for people so it seems like we're on the right track to where i don't even know what normal is anymore i I even hate to say that word where things will get back to normal i don't think things will ever get back to normal in some circumstances but the worst of the worst in terms of wearing masks social distancing and those type of things i think by 2022 or by the time the nfl season starts that uh, we'll see a big difference in that so it was worth the contract. It was worth the uh, situation for Prescott to do what he did. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So we always say this in sports, in movies, whenever someone gets a big contract, why don't we ever say that for people who make less than, I don't know, nine, eight figures or six figures or something? Why don't we ever, why don't we ever say, you know, that teacher who's pulling an 85 grand, is she worth it? Or, you know, that, that that account executive, is he really worth the 95 grand that the, that the company's paying him? Why do we always go for the big shiny objects? Why do we go for the, he's making $10 million? Well, is he worth it? And we always relegate that to ball players. We always relegate that. We don't relegate that to uh, GMs for the most part. We don't relegate that to any other business. We do that for entertainers. We do that for athletes. We might do that in the athletic field. Is this coach worth this amount of, amount of money or something like that? But for the most part, we scrupulize the earnings 
of these players. And it always comes down to what's your definition? What's your definition in terms of is someone worth the money that they're worth? For Prescott and for anybody else who gets paid, you're worth as much as someone's willing to pay you. Whether it's $40 million or $4,000, it doesn't matter. The worth of somebody is how much someone is willing to pay them. Someone's willing to pay me six figures to do a podcast, you're damn right I'm worth six figures. Right now, according to this, I'm worth nothing. But we'll see what happens moving forward. So your worth is whatever someone's willing to pay you, and it comes, especially with athletes, it comes with timing and leverage. Those are the two main things that determine your worth. Every few years, don't we do this? Haven't we been doing this for decades now? Especially if we're talking about sports. Don't we do this? We become fascinated, become fixated on how much someone is making. We come up with these monikers. He's the highest paid player in the game. He's the highest paid player in history. He's signing the largest signing bonus in league history. He's going to be making more money than any player in any league per year for the next five years and this, that, and the other. And sometimes that tag can become an albatross. Sometimes that tag can become an anchor that's going to be sinking you to the bottom of Expectation River. That's going to be sinking you to the bottom of you need to do some shit for us, see. You know what I'm saying? Because all of a sudden now, when you put that title on that player, it changes the whole elevation. It changes the whole expectations of what he's supposed to be about. Now, all of a sudden, a player who might be, for a few years, the best, the highest paid player in the game, he's got to elevate his game no matter how great he is. And sometimes that's not fair. Sometimes he's getting paid for other things other than just pure performance. Sometimes it depends on what type of leader he is. Sometimes it depends on how much of a locker room guy he is. Sometimes it depends on how much he does for the community. Sometimes it's just because of this year. And sometimes it's going to be, this is going to be a contract that's going to be the highest for four or five years. Sometimes it's only going to be two or three years. Sometimes it's only going to be six months. Sometimes it's only going to be six minutes. Six minutes, Dougie Fresher on. So it's just a matter of what's your definition and when we term, is he worth it? Dak Prescott is worth it. And he's worth it more than just, look, is he Patrick Mahomes? No. Is he Aaron Rodgers? No. Is he Deshaun Watson? No. In terms of production on the field, in terms of him being a pure quarterback, quarterback only, no, he's not as talented or as accomplished as a Patrick Mahomes, as an Aaron Rodgers, as a Deshaun Watson, as a Russell Wilson. Did he have a better year even before the injury? Was he having a better year than a Josh Allen? Is he more valuable than... As far as football-wise, Lamar Jackson. All all of these things are debatable. I came into the season a couple of years ago saying that if we're taking a look at quarterbacks, and I've said this before on my podcast in the last couple of episodes before, I was speaking about quarterbacks who were going to make a strong impact when the old heads finally leave the game when we're speaking about Breeze and Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger and Aaron Rodgers and who's going to be that new breed? Who's going to be just this generation's Peyton Manning? Who's going to be this generation's Tom Brady? Who's going to be this generation's Ben Roethlisberger? Who's going to be this generation's big name, tour de force, face of the league type of quarterback? 
and I brought up names like Trevor Lawrence, and I brought up names like Deshaun Watson, and I brought up names like Patrick Mahomes. One of the people whose names I brought up was Carson Wentz. And I said, in this battle, in this debate, Mickey Willie or the Duke, who's the best quarterback, I brought up that I think Carson Wentz is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott. I said that, of course, uh, no earlier or no, yeah, no, no earlier than at the beginning of the season. That if you would have uh, asked me who would I rather start a franchise with, Carson Wentz or Dak Prescott, I would have said Carson Wentz. Whoops, my bad. <laughs> I was completely wrong on that one. And Prescott has always had the moniker, especially when he first came into the league, of, well, he's a game manager. I mean, he's a guy who we don't want him to win football games so much, don't lose it for us. Because we're a team that's got the best running back in football in Ezekiel Elliott. We got ourselves the best offensive line in football led by Tyron Smith. We've got those uh, strengths on the offense for us to win football games. We don't need Dak Prescott being a Tom Brady. We don't need Dak Prescott being our Aaron Rodgers. We don't need him to do that. But gradually, and I think we saw it really when uh, he went down, how important he is to that team. Now, the detractors and the haters will say, well, yeah, I mean, he was throwing for a lot of yards and he was play, making good plays and he was doing this, that, and the other. But I'm sorry, wouldn't, weren't the Cowboys two and three when he did go out? So this wasn't something where they were four and one and all of a sudden, you know, he went out of the game. I mean, this wasn't something where, Remember a few years ago when Aaron Rodgers got injured and Jordan, uh, Brett Hundley had to come in and everybody was like, well, game over. Season's over. <laughs> Just because without Aaron Rodgers on our team, we are D-O-N-E finished. Well, the Packers were in playoff contentions at that time when Anthony Barr fell on Aaron Rodgers' shoulder to eliminate him from the rest of the season, of the competitive season. The Cowboys were two and three. Now, you could also say, well, the defense stunk out loud. But, uh, oh, come on, Chudy ain't two fucking free, free throws missed. Back to what I was saying. So, yeah, you could sit there and talk about, hey, you know, uh, the defense stunk and this, that, and the other. But it showed that, again, Prescott, numbers-wise, important-wise to the Cowboys' offense. Yeah, there, but how much did it translate into winning football games when they've only won two other first five games? So it's a deal where I think that he's matured, that Prescott has matured into getting that type of money, establishing himself as a guy who's going to be making that. But it's also timing. I mean, Prescott, would you have said Prescott was worth... One, two, three... I might have to turn this television off. Would, I, would you have? Would I have said that? Would you have said that in terms of Prescott making this type of money a few years ago? No. But time, time going to give me time. That's what it's all about. And we always speak about every couple of years. Someone's the highest paid quarterback. Some of them are worth it down the road. The others aren't. You take a look at the highest paid quarterbacks. At one point in their careers, I mean, shit, Peyton Manning in his 18-year career, he made almost almost $250 million. He banked eight-figure salaries totals uh, 14 times. He maxed out at $35 million in 2004 after signing a second pro contract and hit $25 million twice more. Carson Palmer, who's nowhere near Peyton Manning, 
he made $174 million in his career. He earned $18.75 million in 2005 when he played for no other than the Cincinnati Bengals. When was the last time you saw Mike Brown give out that kind of money? 2005, 18, no, almost $19 million was a hell of a lot of money for Carson Wentz, who at the time was near, I would say, what Dak Prescott is in terms of uh, football NFL quarterback right now. And then following two campaigns as a member of the then Oakland Raiders, the uh, Carson uh, Palmer then went to the Arizona Cardinals where he finished his career there hitting $17.5 million in three of his last five years. Matthew Stafford, remember when he became the high-paid uh, quarterback? Again, for a franchise that's really not known for giving out massive contract deals. You know, prior to the 2017 season, the Lions signed Stafford to a then record extension worth $135 million over five years, which at the time made him the highest paid player in the NFL. And he played out the contract. If he plays out this contract, he was traded to the Los Angeles Rams, as you do know. So if he's going to have the ability to uh, play out that contract by the time it ends, it's, he's going to be making $262 million in his career. Matt Ryan, remember him? Another guy who was at one time the highest paid player in the NFL coming off of the uh, 2018 season where I think he won the MVP. He became the highest NFL player with a contract worth $30 million annually and $100 million, $100 million guaranteed, which was a first in those regards. Signed that five-year $150 million contract extension. So on this current contract, Matt Ryan's going to be earning $318 million if he gets to the finish line. Now, he's not going to be able to get to the finish line because that contract runs another two years. But still, $318 million? Is Matt Ryan going into the Hall of Fame? Is Matt Ryan going to be considered a generational great? All about timing. All about timing when you sign that contract. Michael Vick, one time, was the highest-paid player in the game. Eli Manning was the highest-paid player in the game. Ben Roethlisberger with the highest paid player in the game, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Jared Goff, that four-year, what, $134 million contract extension he signed with the Rams after he uh, was the quarterback for that team that took him to the Super Bowl, Kurt Cousins. Remember, after betting on himself so many times, he signed that massive three-year, 90-something million dollar contract, most of that money guaranteed with the Minnesota Vikings and signed another contract extension with that squad? Carson Wentz, before Russell Wilson, became the highest paid player about seemed like five minutes later. But at that time where he signed his contract, he was the highest paid player in the game. So it's all about timing. It's all about time, place, and space when that situation is going to come. And when those guys signed those contracts, were they considered the cream of the crop, fruit of the loom, best of the old, best in that regard? No. But again, timing is what the market was dictating. What was determined? And they got paid for it. Can't blame those guys, even if they didn't live up to the contract. Can't blame that on a Carson Wentz. Can't blame that on a Jared Goff. You know, someone wants to overpay for him? Shit, fine, but are you going to turn anything down? Wouldn't you want to be overpaid once in your life? And then not be able to live up to the contract and, then, and still get paid? The ego might be bruised. But are you going to give any of that money back? If someone gives you, a, at your job, someone comes up tomorrow and says, I want to give you a $5,000 bonus for you this month to uh, hit some goals, and you come close, but you don't hit those goals, are you going to get that $5,000 back? No. 
So there we go. Mahomes and Watson, my dear, set the market value for franchise quarterbacks. The franchise tag would have been around $38 million. So it's not like the Cowboys zoomed past the floor of the amount that they could give this guy. Would have put Prescott in the top five highest uh, QBs paid this season, even if the Cowboys did sign him to the franchise tag. It's all about timing. All about timing. And as I'm talking about this here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, and we're also talking about leverage and demand. Again, Prescott has proved to be the most valuable and important player over a period of four years. He started every game that he's played for. I mean, every, he, you know, he started every game. He hasn't come off the bench or anything like that, 69 to be exact. Not the year that I was born, but 69. And he hasn't had a losing record as a starter in any of his five seasons. The Cowboys have won the NFC East twice, the one playoff game. Yeah, they haven't won the Super Bowl. Yeah, they haven't made it to the conference championship. And then again, at the beginning of his career, his rookie year, yeah, sure, this was a guy where, you know, don't lose it for us. Just do what you need to do. Your responsibilities in terms of winning is concerned, helping our team win is going to be minuscule. But I'm sorry, didn't Ben Roethlisberger win a Super Bowl with the Pittsburgh Steelers playing like that? Normally, when you have guys, even if they sit for a year or two, their first year under the helm of being a starter, starting quarterback in the league, it's not too good. Peyton Manning went 2-14 and 14 his first year. Wasn't Tom Brady, for the most part, after he replaced Drew Brees, when Mo Lewis took him out for the season, or for the most of the season, wasn't Tom Brady considered more of a game manager? It wasn't until that last drive in the Super Bowl against the Los Angeles, against the uh, St. Louis Rams, that it was possible that we might be having something here in what is now considered one of the greatest football players of all time. But that first year of him being a starter for the um, New England Patriots, Brady wasn't lighting things up. Bill Belichick wasn't asking Brady to uh, be the star of the show in terms of winning games. If it wasn't for a bad call against the uh, Oakland Raiders, he wouldn't have even made the, he wouldn't have even had the opportunity to have that opportunity to become the player that he was taking the Patriots down the field to kick the game-winning field goal. And when I say take the team down the field for the game-winning field goal, Adam Vinatieri didn't hit a chip shot. That was a pretty good-sized field goal that he made to give Bill Belichick his first Super Bowl championship. Aaron Rodgers, I believe, was 6-10 his first season as a starter. So to, to sit there and talk about, well, you know, we have to kind of take a different light with Dak Prescott because the first couple of years when the Cowboys went 13-3 one year, and I think they were really good the other year, the fact that, you know, he came back and this, that he was nothing more than the game manager, this, that, and the other. Well, I mean, you know, very few. I mean, not a lot you want to say Patrick Mahomes and Dan Marino. There really hasn't been quarterbacks who have been great right out the gate. So, hey, 40-24 and 24 as a starter, as a starting quarterback when playing an entire season, sounds pretty damn good to me. And in 2019, he set career highs in passing yardage where he threw for over 4,900 and touchdown passes where he threw for 30. And in 2020, he was on pace to set an NFL record for passing yards with 1,856 yards in the first five starts. And of course, we know that he had that gruesome injury, but he also had nine touchdown passes and four interceptions. And Ezekiel Elliott, the guy who we put in the argument with the Cowboys in terms of, well, who's more important to this team? Is it are the Cowboys' success on offense, is it due to 
Ezekiel Elliott or is it due to Dak back Prescott? I can say right now, moving forward, that I, I think we know that answer. And his name is Dak Prescott. So after dislocating his right ankle, which caused a compound fracture in week five, um, the Cowboys went four and five and scored one touch, touchdown in the first three games without him. Oh, and by the way, Dallas had one of the better backups in the league. And, um, oh my goodness, the kid for Cincinnati with the, with the uh, red hair, Andy Dalton. Thank you. So yeah, they had one of the better backups in Andy Dalton. This wasn't something where, you know, they had some schlub or they had some, uh, journeyman or they had some unproven, untested, undrafted rookie coming in to replace Dak Prescott. Andy Dalton has been a guy who has brought a team in Cincinnati to the playoffs multiple times. He's made Pro Bowls. And this is not a guy who's 35, 36, 37 years old and just hanging on for a paycheck and for a better pension plan from the NFL once he retires. This is a guy who still has aspirations to become a starter. And in, in, in some situations, Washington, New England, that uh, he was better than the starter. So, you know, shows you the worth, shows you the impact, shows you then the leverage that Dak Prescott has moving forward with this contract. And again, he went from being a game manager, benefited from a strong running game offensive line to the most important player on the team. That shows you something right there. That shows you his growth. That shows you leadership. That shows you dedication. That shows you that if I'm going to be giving somebody this type of money, even if it's going to be for four or three years, that um, I'm going to be resting pretty well during the nights that, Brest, that that Prescott is doing everything he possibly can to become the best quarterback that he can. Wendell's World in Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Here's another thing. And we talked about timing. We talked about leverage. Here's another thing that Dak Prescott has in terms of leverage is concerned. Jerry Jones, as you know, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, He's 78 years old. He ain't no spring chicken. He's not living forever. And it's been 25 years since, quote-unquote, America's team has won a Super Bowl. We're talking about 1992. And again, he's 78 years old, and he ain't living forever. Not, not going to be happening. And since Jones became the GM of the team, Dallas has won four playoff games and has never made the conference finals, let alone the Super Bowl. Four and ten. That's what he's been in the 25 years that he's been the GM, the architect of putting this team together. And he's had Bill Parcells as a coach. So the years that Parcells was the uh, coach of the team, that shouldn't even count. The number of times that Dallas had been mediocre or bad during Jones' tenure, 13 of the 20. When I say mediocre or bad, I'm talking about either 500 or worse. 13 times in 25 years. Yeah, he's won the division seven times. Fantastic. But guess what? This is the last opportunity for Jones to work with a quarterback of this caliber in this situation. Where with him being your quarterback, you should be the best team in your division. What does it mean for the conference? What does it mean for the league? To be determined because of your defense. But Jerry Jones doesn't have another opportunity to uh, let Dak Prescott go or shortchange Dak Prescott 
or hardball Dak Prescott or did to Prescott what Washington did to Kirk Cousins because <clears throat> he doesn't have another five or six or seven or eight years to go ahead and try to find another Dak Prescott or find another franchise quarterback. When you get them, you hold on to them. And again, I'm not saying that Prescott is the caliber of a Deshaun Watson, but why do you think that the Houston Texans are doing everything humanly possible not to uh, get rid of Deshaun Watson? Because they know how unfortunate it will be for them if they do lose him, and they know how hard it's going to be to find another quarterback of that caliber. They don't, Deshaun Watson types, types, they don't grow on trees. You can't say, we'll just go ahead and trade Deshaun Watson and we'll get another one in a couple of years. The Patrick Mahomes and the Deshaun Watsons and the Aaron Rodgers and the Tom Brady's and the Ben Roethlisberger's and the Russell Wilson's, they don't come around the bend every couple of years. They don't be coming around the mountain when they come, when they come. No, they don't. So if you're the Cowboys and you got this franchise quarterback right here and he's looking for a boatload of money and you're Jerry Jones and you know how egotistical he is and you know how passionate he is about winning and he's 78 years old and he said to himself, look, man, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm, I, I I can't live forever and I'm not, I'm a lot closer to uh, getting to the pearly gates than I am to uh, anything else. I got to win and I got to win now. I'm not thinking 10 years down the line. I'm not thinking 15 years down the line. Nice shot, Javon. I'm not thinking about that nonsense. I got to do something and I got to do something now. So if I have to sign Dak Prescott to a term that will put him financially in the same neighborhood as Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, I mean, if he had to have a, if he had to have the biggest house on the block between the uh, streets of Mahomes, Mahomes Avenue and Watson Street, well then shit, that's what I got to do. I can't take the money with me. When I, when I'm dead and gone, I can't take the team up to the heavenly football league and have them start playing there. I can't take that team. I can't take that, that yacht. I can't take that money. I can't take that. I can't take it. When I'm done, I'm done. Believe me, if I could, I would. So with Jones, it's like, hey, man, here's a guy who suffered through, I mean, Troy Aikman gave him a few good years um, near the end of his career. But, I mean, this is a guy who's had to work as far as the quarterback is concerned with Quincy Carter, Anthony Wright, Ryan Leaf, yikes, um, Clint Stronel, Chad Hutchinson, Vinny Testaverde, Drew Henson, you know, Drew Henson, the guy who started in college over Tom Brady. Drew Bledsoe. And then, you know, Tony Romo came on board. 2003 undrafted free agent. They groomed him. They marinated him. He didn't get to throw a pass until 2006. Turned to be a, turned out to be a pretty good uh, quarterback for the uh, Cowboys. Didn't get him to the Super Bowl. Didn't get him to the NFC Championship. But he was a very good quarterback for those guys. But you take a look at Romo's backups. Brad Johnson, John Kitna, Stephen McGee, Kyle Orton, Brandon Whedon, Oklahoma State, played in college when he was like 52 years old. Matt Castle, Kellen Moore, who's now the offensive coordinator. Good rebound. You see that, and you take a look at Romo's backups for a combined 6-19 record from 2008 to 2015. What I'm saying is, you don't chance this bad boy. You don't think down the road when you're Jerry Jones and the Cowboys. So because of that, how did he miss that fucking layup? So because of that, 
The uh, Cowboys have got to do what they got to do in terms of if we have to quote-unquote overpay, then that's exactly what we do. Hold on for a second. I love what Javon, I love what you're doing right now, Javon. Woo! I love the unselfishness. Keep it up. But uh, getting back to the Cowboys, so yeah, that was, uh, that's the deal. Timing, leverage, opportunity, there we go. For Dak Prescott, so. Mm. Looking at these quarterbacks of consequence in Cowboys history. Take a look at all the Cowboys, the quarterbacks who have played for Dallas in their long, illustrious career. Oh, the franchise. Don Meredith, then Roger Stallback, who I'm not going to even mention Craig Hodges. Is it not Craig Hodges? Craig Morton, excuse me. Craig Hodges was the guy who played for the Bulls basketball player. My bad. Okay, I got basketball on television here, and I got basketball on the brain. But no, Don Meredith, then Craig Morton led the uh, Cowboys to the Super Bowl five uh, against the Baltimore Colts. Um, then Roger Stallback. Then when he retired, Danny White. Then after that, it was Troy Aikman and then Tony Romo. Taking a look at a pretty illustrious group. And when you're speaking about the Dallas Cowboys, quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys is one of the most glamorous positions in sports. Prescott now has put himself in that category. Where could he end up when everything is all said and done? He's got the money. He's definitely going to be the highest paid. But uh, where could he end up in terms of the greats? No one's getting past Roger. Roger Stallback, that's my man. Love Roger Stallback. Loved him growing up as a kid. Wait a minute. Weren't you a Washington football fan? I was I was like seven, eight, nine years old, man. And you had Dallas on every week. And I, this is the time before cable. This is the time before all of that. So you know Dallas. Dallas was playing every single uh, week. So hell yeah, I love myself some Dallas Cowboys. My elementary school picture in fifth grade, Miss Smith's class, you that... You saw me with my Roger Stallback uh, jersey on. So Stallback will always be number one as far as the greatest Cowboys uh, quarterbacks, as far as just greatest Dallas Cowboys ever. It's him and Tom Landry in terms of, yeah, it's just those two. And then three, four, and five are all the way, all the way a lot down. If you're going to be talking about uh, Emmett Smith or Troy Aikman or, Michael Irvin or, you know, Tony Hill, Drew Pearson, those guys. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's tier, tier one, Tom Landry, Roger Stallback on the Mount Rushmore or Mount Rushmore of greatest Dallas football players ever or Dallas employee, Dallas Cowboys employees ever, ever because Tom Landry wasn't a player. But, you know, most identifiable, Landry, Stallback. And then if you, like, go down, 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 you'll run into Emma Smith and Michael Irvin and Troy Aikman. And then if you reach a certain generation and a certain age, you'll hit Tony Hill and Randy White and Billy Joe Dupree and Robert Newhouse. And, oh, boy. So there you go. So Prescott, when everything is all said and done, let's say if he reaches his potential, right? Let's say that. You know, he becomes one of the best football players or one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and he does right by Dallas. I think even that, I think Prescott is ending up third behind Aikman and behind Stallback. Again, no one's beating out Stallback for the top list. 
Him and Tom Landry are the reasons the Cowboys are the Cowboys. Aikman? He won three Super Bowls in four years. He helped make Dallas one of the teams of the 1990s. I mean, he was the quarterback that brought Dallas their first championship after a 15-year drought, brought them to the championship in 1992. Before that, the last time Dallas won a Super Bowl was against Denver 27-10 in the Superdome against the Orange Crush of the Denver Broncos. And no, that pass by, that was ruled a touchdown. That was caught by Golden Richards. That was definitely an incomplete pass. It wasn't even close. Yet and still, Harvey Martin, Too Tall Jones, Randy White, Thomas Hollywood Henderson, Dallas with the better team. Of course, they're going to win the championship. Tony Dorsett running back on that team. Preston Pearson. So yeah, Dallas between those glory years and then that drought between 78 and 91, Jimmy Johnson comes in, resurrects the program, brings in Aikman and those guys. And Aikman is the quarterback that starts off the Cowboys dynasty, mini dynasty that they had. So Aikman, who I guess you could say is the greatest winner in Cowboys history because Stallback won two championships and Aikman won three. You could say that uh, it's Stallback and then Aikman in terms of the greatest Cowboys in uh, Cowboys quarterback history. And, you know, Aikman's in the Hall of Fame, so. You know, there's another, there's another thing that that's the deal. So the gap right now between number two and number three, whether you want to put Danny White or Tony Romo in there, I would maybe go with Danny White. I think his career is a little bit overshadowed because the fact that he had to follow Roger Stallback, but he did get Dallas into a uh, NFC Championship game. If, if it wasn't for the uh, catch by Dwight Clark, Dallas would have gone to the Super Bowl and beaten Cincinnati. You would think at the Pontiac Superdome, Silverdome, Astrodome, whatever dome. So, I mean, if you're speaking about just winning, Danny White, you could say, is probably the third best, maybe the most underrated Dallas Cowboy quarterback in their franchise history, even though Don Meredith is more known for goofing with um, Howard Cosell than he was as a quarterback. Timothy Ego, Hefe, you've got to finish! So, yeah, so I would think that... um, far as number three is concerned, if you want to go with Romo, fine. If you want to go with Danny White, fine. But I think if Prescott can have the career that many people think and hope when everything is all said and done, front rim, Jesus. Then um, you're looking at, I think the gap between number two and number three would be a lot closer with Prescott being the number three than it is currently right now if you want to go with Tony Romo or Danny White. So to be considered number two, what, Prescott would have to win, what, three or four Super Bowls? Don't know, don't think that's going to happen. But, uh, you know, and you say Aikman, you know, Aikman didn't pull up the numbers and the triplets and the great defense and the coaching and all those type of things. Hey, the quarterback is the quarterback. And um, he did well. Aikman did well. He was a great quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks of his generation. So, you know, that's what we're going to have to uh, deal with if you're Dak Prescott and you want to get to those type of things. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Thank you. I finally made a layup. Uh, let me see here. Yes, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So we're taking a look at the Cowboys signing Dak Prescott. What are his strengths? What are Dak's strengths? Die for the fucking ball. What a save. Hold it. 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 Don't. If you make this, if you don't make this shot, I'm going to scream. Ah! 
Get the rebound. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. Set up a fucking play. Set up a play. Back to what I was saying. The strengths of Prescott, tremendous leader. He's actually mature on a team unlike the uh, person who's doing this podcast right now. Bingo. Um, professional. Dak Prescott is a professional. You don't have to worry about what he's doing when the season is over or when he's on his own. No, he's a great leader. He's a great community guy. The only thing, the only hint of scandal or negativity. Remember that report by TMZ last April where it reported, it was reported that Prescott had over 30 people, including Ezekiel Elliott over his house at a friend's birthday party. And that was the time when the uh, governor, Greg Abbott, he gave an executive order to Texans to stay at home except for essential activities and to quote-unquote minimize social gathering and minimize in-person contact with people who are not in the same household. So there's a report that Prescott had 30 people over for a party or some nonsense like that. So, you know, Prescott had to uh, make a statement to Jory Epstein of USA Today talking about, you know what, that's bullshit. No, he didn't use the word bullshit, but basically it was bullshit because, you know, it wasn't 30 people. It was a small group, fewer than 10 10 people for a home dinner. So, I mean, you know, and and Prescott is not living in a hovel. He's not living in a one bedroom. He's not doing that. He's living in a nice spread to where I'm quite sure six feet apart and all those type of things. If he was wearing masks, I'm quite sure that that was copacetic. So, you know, that's the only deal. That's the only thing where it's kind of like, well, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But, you know, so those are the things, man. So I'm taking a look at the signing and the course, hey, man, how is Prescott going to, we're all going to go on the assumption that uh, Dak is going to be just fine from that gruesome and horrific um, injury that he had. And there's no guarantee that he's going to be a full participant or will be 100% in football shape by training camp. So we'll see. We'll see. But in the end, hey, man, it was a win-win situation for both player and team. Dallas got the quarterback that they're going to need. No rebuilding, no finding, no trading, no looking for someone who could possibly be Dak Prescott. They got the original. They signed him to a a deal. And for Dak, hey, man, 126 mil guaranteed. You're still going to have some rumors of freedom going down the uh, pike in terms of your career is concerned. Everybody in this situation comes out a winner.
Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Yes! Yes! <laughs> Fuck what I'm talking about. Welcome back to the program, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. My enthusiasm as I'm recording this podcast, I have on the first round of the Big East Tournament. Right now, I'm recording this as my Georgetown Hoyas are taking on the Marquette Golden Eagles. Normally, I would just be completely fixated on this game and really not have any time to go ahead and to record anything, but I'm, I'm, I'm pressed for time. The next couple of days, I'm going to be in Mesquite, so I won't have any opportunities to record, and I need to get this out as soon as possible, and I need to get ready to uh, head up north for Mesquite for a few days, so there's some things around the house I have to do. I also want to watch some basketball. AEW is on tonight. And the fact that I have to wake up tomorrow at 5 a.m. in the morning to drive over 90 fucking miles means that I can't uh, get my, uh, I can't go to bed at my normal time around 1 o'clock in the morning. So I have to go to bed just a tad bit earlier. So I have to uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, get it done and get it done when I can get it done. So I'm multitasking. I'm doing two things at once and um, watching my Hoyas. Go to town, go to work. Right now they're up by 18 with about four or five minutes left to go in the second half. Normally, if this was any other team, for those who are Gonzaga fans or Baylor fans or any other fan in the country, you'd be like, game's over. Celebrate good times. Come on. Man, when it's Georgetown, it's like you never know. Four or five minutes left to go. They can go into one of these four or five minute shooting slumps. They start turning the ball over, so I can't rest easy, not just yet. So, even in the first segment, I gave you just a little bit of hint. I just gave you a little inside, inside the, uh, behind the curtain look at what it's like for me sitting here in my town home in northwest Las Vegas watching Georgetown on a regular basis. Now, I normally don't go as crazy uh, this season. I haven't gone as crazy this season as I've gone in other years when Georgetown was relevant. Damn, Wendell, when was Georgetown relevant? Very funny. But I'm talking about it because of the fact that, look, they're not making the tournament and everything in terms of how well they're playing is just gravy. And it gives a good vibe, gives a good chi for the incoming class coming in next season. So, you know, win or lose, if they play, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go nuts, too nuts, nuts about it. When they've lost the season, I mean, you know, when, when Georgetown would lose back in the day, it would ruin my entire day. I mean, as I've gotten older, when I was young, and Georgetown would lose, I would cry. And when I say back in the day, I'm talking about last week, just kidding. But back when I was a youngster, back when Ewing was doing his thing and Ralph Dalton was doing his thing and Billy Martin and Michael Graham and Perry McDonald and Reggie Williams and David Wingate and all of those guys, back in my teenage years when my dream was to not only play for the Los Angeles Lakers Showtime, but to play for John Thompson and the Georgetown Hoyas. So, 15, 16 years old, when you would go out and basketball was the only thing that you think about, basketball and Marcy Andrews were the only thing that you would think about. And, uh, you know, the dream was to play for Georgetown and John Thompson and such. Um, yeah, man, when Georgetown would lose, I'd cry. A 15, 16-year-old crying, you're damn right. You are damn right. I still, still have not been able to watch Michael Jordan hit that jump shot on the left-hand side in the 1982 NCAA basketball game. I remember crying the whole night. And then that morning as I was on the bus going to E. Brooklyn for middle school, I was still crying. Couldn't believe it. I can't, I, I, I still 
Four decades later, I still can't bring myself to watch that shot. Whenever I see Jordan rise, I turn my head, I close my eyes, I do something because it's still too painful for me to watch Jordan hit that shot, that lucky motherfucker, son of a bitch. So, um, how about that? Dean Smith, his two championships that he won were courtesy of Fred Brown throwing the ball to the wrong person and Chris Webber calling the timeout when he didn't have any timeouts. Dean Smith's still an awesome coach, but it's like, "Eh, you know what? You'll take the championship any way that you can get it. But, uh, yeah, so when Georgetown would lose back in the day, I'd cry and I'd cry and I'd cry. But as you get older, crying became really bad mood, ruined my day, ruined the last couple of days, or ruined the first couple of days after they would lose. And I wouldn't want to watch any sports and this, that, and the other. And then when you reach your late 20s and 30s and 40s and such, you know, you, you get a little bummed out when they lose. But, uh, you know, for the most part, other things are happening in life. So you, you move on. But this season, and even for the last couple of seasons, eh, you know, no big deal. If they lose, they lose. and they win, great. You know, I'm not going to, not going to, uh, you know, go start raving, you know, nutsy about it. But, uh, you know, when Georgetown's good, when Georgetown's relevant, which they'll be next season. They're not going to be NCAA tournament good with the fellas they have coming in. Best case scenario, they'll make the NIT, but because there are expectations and Patrick Ewing is the coach, you better believe that next season, the little taste that I gave you and that I'm giving you of my emotions and what I'm doing when I watch a Georgetown basketball game is going to be hyped up just a little bit. And when they lose, it might affect me for... 10 minutes, and then I'll get over it and move on. Now it doesn't affect me at all. They'll lose to Villanova tomorrow. That's fine. Never mind. But, uh, you know, so that's what it's like. So <clears throat> I hope I can finish this podcast. I'm going to lose my voice. But how am I going to work this tomorrow? Because tomorrow I'm going to be up in Mesquite in class. And if they win, which it looks like they're going to, the game is going to be at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Hmm. I might have to do some uh, subterfuge here. I might have to, uh, you know, kids got the homework. Kids got the, the assignment. You know what y'all supposed to be doing? Cool. Leave me alone. I'm going to be over here in the corner. And if you hear me yelling, screaming, and cursing, pay it no mind. <laughs> yes, Clarissa, what's happening? You see right here, what you need to do with the negative six, you move that over to the God damn it, Javon! Pass the fucking ball! Cutis, would you finish? One time! Dante, you gotta finish at the rim, baby! Chudier, no! No, Chudier, don't, no, don't shoot it, don't shoot it! What was I talking about again? Just negative six. You move that over to the, um, so, <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna be like that tomorrow. Probably not. Gonna have a good class and kids don't, don't pay attention to me. They just only, the only thing these, these kids ask me is, the only, the only time that these kids talk to me, especially the, uh, upperclassmen, the only time they talk to me is when they can go use the bathroom. That's the only time they say something to me. Every blue moon, they might say, good morning, good afternoon, have a nice day. Every blue moon. But the only time they're going to be saying anything to me is, sir, can I go to the bathroom? Mr. Wallace, can I go to the bathroom? Kids. Unbelievable. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right. Let's talk about some football, shall we? Been talking about Dak Prescott. The fact that he got the... Contract, four years, $160 million, 126 of that guaranteed basically is a three-year deal, you know, basically if you take a look at it. Mentioned before the fact that, you know, is he worth it? What's the worth of Prescott? Is he going to be able to live up to that money? If he does, where will he fall in the pantheon of Dallas Cowboys 
quarterbacks and, and that type of thing. So, you know, my question now is let's even broaden this out a little bit more because Prescott signed what was basically a three-year contract. So my thing is, and we always do this, once someone quote-unquote signed for the biggest contract in their sports history, the next question is going to be, so who's going to be next in line? You know, we're waiting for the guy that's going to break $50 million per year in football. We're going to be waiting for the guy who's going to break the $300 million. When will the NBA get to a situation where there's going to be a guy where James Harden had the opportunity to be the first player to average over $50 million when he turned down Houston's two-year, $100 million plus uh, uh, contract. So what is that? Who is going to be that next player? And what is that next player going to be able to get themselves into that type of money? In baseball, I mean, we saw the big deal that Mike Trout had for $400-something million. Who's going to be the first half-a-billion-dollar player? And how many years is it going to be? So once Dak Prescott signed that contract, which was, quote-unquote, $66 million in guaranteed or and the signing bonus is $126 million guaranteed and record here and record there and record everywhere, who's going to be the next quarterback to get that type of money? And, of course, for me, the names that shut out to me was... Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson. Those are the first names that kind of shot to my mind in terms of who's going to be that guy that has the opportunity to get that next big contract, depending upon, as I mentioned before, your definition of, you know, getting a big contract or, you know, timing, opportunity, in, in, in terms of those things. Prescott, it might be Dak Prescott again, because he's going to be a free agent when he's 31 years old. He'll have another two to three big paydays left in his playing career. So if you take a look at Josh Allen, if you take a look at that rookie class from a few years ago, which included Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, their time is coming up at the end of the season. Their rookie deals are going to end. So what are we going to be talking about here? Because you know Josh Allen is going to sign. He had an incredible season. So if he duplicates or improves on that um success that he had this past season? What type of money are we talking about? And what type of offer are the Buffalo Bills going to give him? The, the same thing with Lamar Jackson. And to an extent, the same thing with Baker Mayfield. I don't think Mayfield is going to be making Deshaun Watson, um, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott type money. I don't think he's going to be at that plateau. But when you take a look at when you take a look at Mayfield, if he can build upon what he did last uh, season where quarterback for the team in Cleveland that got him to the playoffs and the longest of longs and actually won a playoff game being the hated Pittsburgh Steelers, the fact that now you're taking a look at Baltimore and Cleveland that are supposed to be favorites, should be favorites in the AFC North. If Mayfield can continue to build on what he started last season, what type of deal is he going to get if Cleveland decides that, you know what, this is going to be our guy? So all of those things, are they going to be looking for a Patrick Mahomes type of deal? 10 years, big money? Or are they going to be looking at a Dak Prescott type of deal, which is short term in terms of years, but uh, gives them the flexibility and the availability to hit the free agent market once again and uh, dip into some of the increased revenue that the, that the NFL has with this new contract deal? As you know, Mahomes signed the richest contract in sports history last offseason. I thought it was Mike Trout, but all right, what do I know? But uh, Mahomes signed a 
10-year, $450 million contract extension. So if you added up the money to his existing contract, the total deal was then $503, hence the first half a billion dollar player over 12 years with $477 million of that guaranteed. So as the salary cap can jump and inflation and the league salaries continue to rise, Mahomes in Kansas City, you would think, would renegotiate his deal to ensure that if he is one of the top players in football or if he still remains the top player in football as far as quarterbacks is concerned, and that margin is still maintained to what it is now, sorry, Aaron Rodgers fans, then, you know, if Dak Prescott is in three or four years is going to be making arbitrary number $46 million, you better believe that Patrick Mahomes is going to be like, yeah, you know what, I might have seven or eight more years left to go on this contract, but uh, we're going to have to kind of restructure this because I'm not going to be making only $44 million when Dak Prescott is at 48 Sorry, not happening, especially if Mahomes is coming off him being the quarterback to win his third or fourth MVP and to have Kansas City win the Super Bowl for the third time in five years that he's been at the helm of the uh, football team. So, well, for Mahomes, though, by the time he's 37, that contract will expire. And look, $477 million is $477 million. That's guaranteed. Take that to the bank. There you go. So, you know, we all are going, all we're all on the assumption that, yeah, he's going to continue to grow and be great and all these types of things. But um, just in case, just in case he does flame out, maybe injury, maybe, I don't know, maybe his wife drives him crazy, nuts, I don't know. Who knows what's going to be happening? You know, life is a long time to live. Then, you know, he's still going to be banking $477 million guaranteed. So there, there's equal opportunity for that. I think it all depends on the player, as usual. But if you're taking a look at a Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, I think in terms of what they're going to be doing, I think it's just a matter of the situation, the fit, not just between the quarterback and the franchise. I think you also have to take a look at the quarterback, franchise, and community and see what those guys can do in the community. Josh Allen... For instance, Josh Allen, my guesstimation would be, well, because Buffalo with Buffalo, Josh Allen is, it's just, there's just some connection, I think, that Josh Allen had with not just the organization of Buffalo, but the community of Buffalo, that he would be more inclined to sign a Patrick Mahomes type deal in terms of the amount of time that if he, can say, for instance, throwing out a number here again, if the Bills wanted to sign him to a 10-year, 40, a 10-year, $460 million contract with $390 million of that guarantee, that type of thing, I think that would be more of where I would think Josh Allen would fall in, whether rather than taking a three-year deal worth uh, $118 million with 105 of that guaranteed, only because... I think Josh Allen is a Buffalo type of guy. I think Josh Allen, the community, and Allen are a a really good marriage. It seems like Josh Allen is a Buffalo guy. You know what I mean? I mean, he was born in a small town. He went to uh, Wyoming and played. He doesn't seem like a a, a cowboy hat-wearing, cowboy boot-wearing type of guy, blue jeans type of guy. I mean, he seems to be more of a Buffalonian than say if he's a New Yorker or he's a Chicagoan 
oh, he's from L.A. or something like that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, him in Chocolate City, you know, him in Black Lana. But you know what I'm saying, though? I mean, if, if, if it'd be a situation where, yeah, he could play for Washington, but would he be synonymous with Chocolate City? Nah, he probably want to live down the, down the uh, 95 a little bit in Virginia. Will he be someone like a... Um, like Black Lana, as I mentioned before, nah, he probably want to move out to the sticks. He maybe want want to go down to Round Oak. He might want to, you know, move to the outskirts rather than live in the urban areas, live in the concrete areas, the concrete blocks, the big city, the big lights, the street lights, street life. I mean, seeing for me, and I don't know Josh Allen, haven't met the man per haven't met the man per uh, personally or anything like that, but just seeing like Josh Allen is more of a Buffalo type of guy than anything else so I couldn't see Josh Allen saying you know Buffalo was great but I'm just a hankering to, to uh, live in LA and play for the Rams you know what I'm saying so I, I think in, in a situation like that I think that Allen would be more inept more more inclined excuse me to uh, take a long-term deal with that with that money same thing with Baker Mayfield I think Mayfield is a guy sees the opportunity to man if I become if I become an icon and this is, if, if I can be the quarterback that takes this franchise to the Super Bowl and win it, that just opens up so many things for me. I mean, you're talking about one of the storied franchises in NFL history, so which in turn makes it one of the most storied franchises in North America. It, it's right up there with the Cowboys. I mean, when you're speaking about franchises in this country and you're speaking about the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees and the Chicago Cubs and the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers and the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Green Bay Packers and the Dallas Cowboys. Cleveland is right there. Cleveland is right at that dinner table. Cleveland is right in the same section of that club when we're talking about iconic, historic type of uh, programs, type of franchises. And through their Years of futility, as you're speaking about the football squad and how much we could talk about LeBron winning the NBA championship for Cleveland. We could speak about the so many times that the Cleveland Indians have um, come close to winning the World Series, but yet and still never have. It's still, without question, a Cleveland Browns town by far. And if Mayfield can be that guy, and they've got the offensive line, they've got the running backs, they've got Miles Garrett, They've got the coaching staff. I think they've got the right direction and where they're going. If Baker Mayfield can do something that Youngstown native Bernie Kozar couldn't do, that Brian Sight couldn't do. I mean, if he gets to the Super Bowl with this squad, I mean, wouldn't you already have to put Baker Mayfield as the greatest Cleveland Brown outside of Jim Brown, outside of Dr. Uh, outside of uh, all the wide receiver, Gary, Coll Gary Collins? I mean, the 1965, the 1965 championship squad for the Cleveland Browns, which shut out the Baltimore Colts. I mean, if he makes it to a Super Bowl, just makes it to the Super Bowl, let alone win one, I mean, wouldn't he be considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Cleveland Brown post Jim Brown and Leroy Kelly and those guys? I know that he would have still have a long way to go, but I'm just thinking... He would be the most accomplished if he got him to the uh, Super Bowl. And you think about the futility and you think about the years upon years upon years upon years of ineptitude and dysfunction 
that has permeated the Cleveland Browns organization for Baker Mayfield to take that and to lead him to the glory land, lead him to the promised land, lead him to Super Bowlsville, lead him to uh, the Vince Lombardi. If I'm Baker Mayfield, you can't get that anywhere else. There are few franchises that I mentioned before. Should I throw in the Chicago Bears? The few franchises in NFL history that you would be more beloved in that community than Cleveland. Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, I mean, they're 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 cemented. Um I'm trying to think of other great quarterbacks to play. Denver and John Elway, they're cemented. I mean, even get to a situation where if Mayfield could have a really successful career, 8, 10, 12-year career with the Cleveland Browns. Doesn't mean you have to win the Super Bowl every year. If you just get to the doggone Super Bowl once or twice, and Lord have mercy if you win one. I mean, right there, you're synonymous with Jim Brown. You're synonymous with Paul Brown. You're synonymous with Otto Graham. You're synonymous with Marion Motley. You're synonymous with those guys. If you have that type of career, you can't get that feeling. You can't get that love. You can't get that hype. You can't get that devotion. You can't get that deification anywhere else from another football team except for a very few than you would if you had that type of career in Cleveland, especially since you're a home, especially since you were a draft pick. So you didn't come over through free agency. You didn't come over after you had a stellar career with some other franchise. It wasn't a situation like this. I mean, basically, you would have been the guy who your career, born, raised, grew up, set down roots as far as your playing career. Baker Mayfield had that opportunity. Because of that, I'm thinking to myself, if they offer Mayfield a long-term deal, Mayfield's going to take that shit. I don't care if he believes in himself, TV money or no TV money. I think he's going to take that deal and, uh, you know, and, 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 and throw up the signs like Hulu. So, yeah, so I think you take a look at this. I think the two guys, Allen and Mayfield, are the two best candidates, I would think, that would slide more toward a Patrick Mahomes long-term deal. I think with Mayfield, if they offered him, if he has a really strong year, Cleveland offers him an eight-year an eight-year, $250 million contract with two ten guaranteed. Yeah, I think Mayfield would take that. And say the hell with the TV money. I'm where I want to be. The only two guys who I think might be open in terms of, yeah, give me a short-term deal and let me do my thing would be Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson. I really do. Those are the two guys where I could see it would be like, you know what, I'm going to uh, go ahead, try to uh, make sure I get that TV money and uh, go for broke, and go for self. Not, not saying it's definite, but um, I'm saying it could happen. I'm also thinking, because, you know, right now, Lamar Jackson, as I mentioned before here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with your host, Wendell Wallace, Lamar is entering the final deal of his rookie rookie uh, contract. It's fourth year of a $9.5 billion contract. He's scheduled to make only $1.7 million this season. He's currently ranked 23rd as far as quarterbacks paid. And you, you've seen, of course, what Lamar Jackson has become. Youngest Super Bowl, excuse me, youngest MVP of the league. He has a 30-7 and record as a starter. Three trips to the playoffs. 
Now, there's some situations going on right now where it's not as smooth. It's not smooth sailing. I'm not speaking about the Isley Brothers. Nothing but smooth sailing tonight. Anything that you want from me is mine to recognize. It's not, uh, it's not that type of smooth sailing with Lamar and the Ravens in terms of a contract extension. Now, uh, the GM for the Ravens came out and said, hey, you know what? I mean, this is, you know, this is like solving a crime. You know, you can watch a TV show and they solve the crime in 30 minutes. Well, in real life, it doesn't happen that way. Same thing with contract negotiations. Yeah, Prescott got his big money. That doesn't automatically mean that 15 minutes later, you're going to see Lamar uh, come up and um, get paid the same amount of money or that's going to um, accelerate the talks and continuous talks that we have with uh, Lamar and his representative, which happens to be he himself and I. You didn't know that, did you? Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent. He represents himself. He doesn't have an agent. He doesn't have a lawyer. You know who represents him? His mother. No, no, his mom's not an agent or a lawyer either. Be a little nervous. I would be a little nervous if I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan. I'd be a little nervous if I was a Lamar Jackson fan. You're going up against a seasoned GM with uh, someone with no experience whatsoever. I don't give a damn who it is. Mother, father, sister, brother, friend. I don't, I don't you know, that's, that's, that's something else. But I can see, I can see those guys, Lamar and Kyler Murray, looking for a shorter term deal. Because according to CNBC's Jabari Young, and I'm saying this here on Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, the next wave of television contracts they're expected to be similar in, in terms of, look, Fox and CBS, they're going to keep their Sunday afternoon packages. NBC is going to retain the Sunday night football. ESPN, they could add the Sunday ticket package to ESPN Plus to Monday nights. But the only thing that's out, out there to be taken is the Thursday night football games. That's the only thing that could come into play. Right now, Fox has the uh, rights to those games, but and none of the other broadcasts seem to be interested in assuming that package when the deal is expired. The only entity that has any type of interest is Amazon. If you remember near the end of last season for the Thursday night games, that those games were being played on Amazon, they're in talks with the National Football League to carry those games, which would start the year 2023. And as part of the agreement, Amazon would be responsible for the production costs and the games would still be broadcast on local TV in home markets of each of the teams that were playing. But as far as the NFL, the, you know, the NFL TV and CBS and those or Fox or whatever they're being played on right now, it wouldn't be happening. I don't watch Thursday Night Football. I got to tell you, I, I just don't. Don't find it exciting. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be watching professional football on Thursday. I watch enough professional football on Saturdays and Sundays. And I don't need to uh, spend Thursday nights watching it anyway. I mean, I'll be damned if you're going to interrupt my beat Bobby Flay. I'll be damned if the NFL is going to ruin my viewing pleasure of watching beat Bobby Flay on Thursday nights on the Food Network channel with Jacksonville versus the New York Jets. I don't think so. But from the network standpoint, yeah, you might not get the numbers for the Thursday night games that you get for the Sunday games in in, uh, Monday night football. But guess what the high what guess what's the uh, highest rated show on Thursday nights? Thursday night football. Thank you. So 
that's where the value of that comes in. But Amazon could be players. And Young notes also that ESPN could purchase Thursday nights and then move those games to ABC. But basically what's happening is right now the current salary cap for each team is $180 million. So even though coming up in this next negotiating period that you might not see NBC try to get any of the uh, Sunday morning games or you might not see ABC try to get into the uh, NFL Sunday games and you might not see any type of competition for any of the other networks, Fox or whatever, trying to uh, uproot NBC for the uh, Sunday night games. As long as, you know, Monday night football, there's still going to be a nice little raise coming to the uh, pockets, the coffers financially of these NFL football teams. Because of that, then the salary cap is going to move up. If you're speaking about the next deal being close to $100 billion, then you know the trickle-down effect of that is players are going to be getting paid. So if you're one of these quarterbacks, as I mentioned before, and I brought up Dak Prescott, Prescott sees this and says, yeah, I want to be able to get my hands on some more of that money. I want to get my hands on some of that fresh money. I want to get my hands on some of that TV money. I want to get some of that money. I want to get that Amazon money. So, yeah, I might be making $40 million now, but how much is the salary cap going to go up, which means how much of the salaries are going to go up once we get that, you know, freshly, uh, that, that fresh new cash. I want to be part of that. Is Josh Allen, is he going to have that attitude? Baker Mayfield going to have that attitude? I don't think so because of their, because of uh, who they play for and what can they become playing for those teams and how well they identify with those markets and how much those markets and those players are in such harmonious sound relationship with them. Lamar, I can see, yeah, I want to get that money. I want to get that money. Kyler, yeah, I'm going to see where I can get that money. But, uh, yeah, the new television contract would be, as I mentioned before, worth a billion dollars through the end of the decade. The Monday Night Football package rolls through 2021, so when they renegotiate, I'm quite sure the NFL is going to, uh, you know, get a few more dollars out of that. So, interesting times. A business move by Dak Prescott. Shorter length. You still get that money. Bank on a nice raise once people are back in the stadiums and the TV money starts kicking in. Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield in my position, they're cool with what they're going to get. Kyler and Lamar, I can see them wanting to try to get the money. Don't blame either one. Not saying one strategy is better than the other. But it'll be interesting down the road in this offseason of quarterbacks where you had Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford and Carson Wentz being traded and the whole hullabaloop with um, Russell Wilson and uh, Deshaun Watson and the story with Dak Prescott. For the next couple of offseasons, I'm telling you, don't be sleeping on the NFL in terms of putting them away in the, in the closet and then bringing them back out when the draft comes. Uh, with these quarterbacks, the way that these folks are acting, and we haven't even hit, we haven't even talked about potentially what Aaron what drama Aaron Rodgers is going to bring to the game. Woo, the NFL is getting juicy. And I can't wait to see what's next.
Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Shalom. Wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Konnichiwa. Namaste. Niao. Que pasa, mi amigos? Me, I'm O.A. Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour. Bonsoir. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Do what you need to do today, man. Make someone's life better. Make your spouse's life better. Make your children's life better. Say I love you. Say what's happening. Say what's going on. Say I care about you. Say all them things. Do it for those who don't have it. Do it for those who are struggling. Do it for those who need to pick me up. That's what I'm talking about. Good day so far. My Georgetown Hoyas got it done. Moving on to the second round. Playing Villanova tomorrow. 9 a.m. my time. I don't know how I'm going to pull this off. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but yes, I will find a way. Even if I have to DVR this bad boy, I am going to watch what will probably be the <laughs> will probably be the final game of the year. I don't care; it's all gravy. This year in college basketball, and now my next podcast, which I'll start working on as soon as this one's done. But I want to hit into uh, March Madness. Want to get into uh, college basketball. Also, you know what, man? I've been watching a lot of the G League basketball games. I've been watching the Elite Team because I wanted to see what uh, Jonathan Kaminga and Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd were uh, putting down and uh, and, uh, Deshaun Nix. And I'm watching those games. And I'm watching some of the uh, college basketball tournaments, some of the college basketball games. And, of course, the question is going to be, if you're a high school senior, if you're a five-star recruit, if you're a quote-unquote one-and-done are you going to go to play college basketball for a year, participate in a tournament, whatever, whatever, be on campus, taking classes, this, that, and the other? Or are you going to get paid six figures, go to the G League? Basically, which avenue is better for someone that's a one and done? The college experience or what the G League and what the G League select team is doing? I've got my thoughts and my opinions and feelings about that. I'm going to save them for my next podcast, but it's going to be interesting. The fact that, you know, if you're a if you're a guy, again, someone like a Chet Holmgren who's being recruited by Georgetown, please, Jesus, please, please. And, you know, you're being recruited by Gonzaga and Georgetown and Kentucky and Duke and all these big tier schools. And you basically, he's the number one uh, recruit for the 2021 class. He hasn't decided yet. And the G League is an option. And you're someone like a Chet Holmgren. Are you going to go that route? Interesting to see what uh, the G League or the G League select team is going to offer Holmgren. If it's going to play any type of role in him deciding whether he's going to go to college for a year or go to the uh, G League. But if you're him, and I know everybody's different, so there really is no one answer, no one right or wrong answer. Exactly what plays into your thought process in terms of what exactly do I want to do? And with the situation where you know, you can make the money on your likeness if you go to college because that's um, some of the uh, shackles are being unshackled in terms of what you can do to make a little money. Are you, is that going to play a role? You know, how much of a role is that going to play and whether you're going to go to one school or the other school or go to the G League or whatever. So those are some of the things that I have in mind. Is Jalen Green a better prospect than Jalen Shrugs right now because one played at Gonzaga and the other one played in the G League. One played against college-age kids and men while the other one actually played against men. One had college coaching, the other one had NBA-type coaching. So all of those things I'll get into on my next podcast. I'm really looking forward to uh, doing that. But, you know, when Prescott 
and that news went down, it was like blow it up, start all over again. So as far as the uh, podcast is concerned, so that's what I'm going to be doing right now. So speaking about this whole Dak Prescott thing, then re-signing with the Dallas Cowboys. He said in this press conference, I want to be a Cowboy. I want to remain a Cowboy. I am a Cowboy. And this, that, and the other. No uh, no hint of Bon Jovi being there, but I'm a Cowboy. I'm a Cowboy. I'm a Cowboy. Okay. So now that we've got, again, when you when you put such things as highest paid player in the NFL, $40 billion player, $66 billion signing bonus, $75 million, all of these big time numbers, all of a sudden now your expectations become uh, elevated. So now, rightly or wrongly, many people are going to figure the key for the Dallas Cowboys, their success or their failure is going to ride primarily on Dak Prescott because he's the highest paid player, not just on his team, but one of the highest paid players in the NFL at the most important position of, uh, in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the league in terms of playing the quarterback position. So what should the team's expectations be for the upcoming season for 2021. Because you take a look at the NFC least, the NFC East, it was exactly that. The NFC least, if you're speaking about the Washington football team that won the division at seven and nine, yeah, they have a great defensive front four, and they had the best defensive player in the division, maybe the best player in the division in Chase Young. But exactly, can someone tell me what they're gonna be doing at the quarterback position? Because Washington just released Alex Smith. So now they're going to be dealing with Taylor Haneke or Steven Montez. On their roster, the fact that they are drafting at the 19th position, the 19th pick, doesn't give them the opportunity to get themselves a quality starting quarterback or a highly regarded quarterback. So, uh, Mac Jones is not going to be there. Trey Lance is not going to be there for development. Justin Fields is not going to be there. Zach Wilson is not going to be there. And, of course, Trey uh, Trevor Lawrence is not going to be there. So, are the Washington football team, are they going to try to uh, – maybe get that quarterback out of Florida? Are they going to reach for a quarterback? Are they going to ignore some of the other positions of need, such as a tight end, such as a wide receiver, such as a running back? Are they going to maybe go into the free agent market? Are they going to try and make a trade? Are they going to bring in a career backup? Are they going to try to bring in Cam Newton to be reunited with Ron Rivera? Exactly what are the Washington football team's expectations or what are their what are their ways to try to get better at the quarterback position? Again, they need another wide receiver and a slot receiver to pair with Terry McLaurin. I would like to see them improve at the tight end position. Logan Thomas right now is the only pass catcher that they've got, the former quarterback at Virginia Tech, and there's nobody on that team that, at the tight end position that can block. So from an offensive standpoint, Washington needs a lot of work. They won the division last year 7-9. A lot of it had to do with Alex Smith. Are they looking to regress or are they looking to progress and build upon that 7-9 record despite the fact that they don't have themselves a quarterback? You take a look when you were speaking about the NFC East, you're taking a look at the New York Giants finishing one game out of 6-10. and 10. Um, Defense was the key for those guys for their mini success that they had during last season. I believe they won three or four games in a row because of it. Um, the decision that's going to be made on whether they're going to be able to or want to be keeping Leonard Williams, who had a turnaround after being traded from the Jets, or Dalvin Thomason as another guy who's going to be in the mix in speaking about in terms of are we going to keep him or are we going to let him go? Of course, will Saquon Barkley, what will Saquon Barkley be when he comes back after tearing his ACL again? Wayne Gelman and Alfred Morris 
were decent, but they're not the long-term answers to running back. And, of course, from the quarterback position, exactly what, what are we doing here with Daniel Jones? Exactly what is Daniel Jones? Can we get him a number one receiver? Because there are some questions that still haven't been answered about Darryl, uh, Daniel Jones, whether he's going to be a eventual playoff caliber starting quarterback. So with the Philadelphia Eagles here speaking about what's happening in the NFC East on one of those World of Sports podcasts, what the expectations are for the Dallas Cowboys, take a look at the Philadelphia Eagles. They're in a transition year with a new QB, with a new head coach, and now we've seen some reports. Now we've read some articles. Now we've heard from the grapevine. Now not much longer will you be in mind that owner Jeffrey Lurie wants to build around Jalen Hurts and that he's been more Jerry Jones-ish in his, you know, in, in his uh, dealings with the football team, more hands-on in the decision-making with the football team. And when you have a owner as your GM, you're going to have a losing team as a client. So uh, you know, with Jeffrey Lurie now is talking about he was on board or he wanted to be the one who wanted to make the decision to uh, draft Jalen Hurts, and he was the one that wanted to make sure that the team builds around Jalen Hurts. Well, how are you going to build around a quarterback who showed some glimpses, showed some flashes, but yet and still um, they need a wide receiver? They need a couple of wide receivers. They need a running back. The offensive line with Jason Peters, I don't know if he's going to be coming back or not. That's going to be yet. That's going to have to be uh, retooled. They're $40 million over the cap, so they're not going to be signing any big-time big free agents. Exactly. What are they going to do? Transition. They're going to be rebuilding. So it leaves a clear path, I believe, for the Dallas Cowboys for them to uh, regain their status in terms of really being the favorites to win the NFC East. Now, from the offensive standpoint position, yeah, you take a look at some of the skilled players that are coming back. You get Prescott, but then again, the caveat has to be what is what is going to be, especially the first month, six weeks of the season, what is he going to be looking like after he comes off of this devastating injury? What is going to be the prognosis in terms of him getting better to <clears throat> get back to the level of football that he was playing before the injury? And exactly, you really don't expect the injury that he had the fact that he's going to be spending the offseason rehabilitating that injury, which is going to take away from some of the craft that he's trying to build in terms of his football quarterbacking skills because he's going to be trying to rehab that knee. How quickly is he going to be able to get back to the quarterback that he was? Are we talking about opening week? Are we talking about week five? Are we talking about week 11? Are we even talking about the 2022 season where the old Dak Prescott is going to emerge. Sometimes, depending upon the injury and depending upon the person, yet physically, you might be fine, but mentally, it's going to take some time for you to finally trust your your ankle or that injured area that you are 100% and you don't have to be thinking about it anymore. It's a mental situation. How strong is Dak Prescott from that standpoint? And uh, those things are going to take some time. So, if that's going to be the case, you're going to have to rely on Ezekiel Elliott a little bit more. And right now, Elliott is coming off the worst season of his career. He had the fewest touchdowns of his career. He averaged the fewest yards per carry. He had the most fumbles in his career. And he had the fewest rushing overall rushing yards per game in his career, too. And that was by almost 20 yards. Now, 
there's some video coming out where he's slim and he's looking in shape and this, that, and the other. But, you know, I think, again, the answer to the question, who was the MVP of the offense, Elliott or Prescott, I think we got that answer. And I think uh, the proof was in the pudding when, really, in a lot of games, Tony Pollard outplayed Elliott last season when um, Andy Dalton was under center for, for Dallas. So, you know, look, with both of them riding high, with both of them at their prime, Dallas was 38-23. and 23. Elliott was one of the best, if not the best, running back in the league, so I can understand the argument. But moving forward right now, look, he's got, Ezekiel's got one more year to approve something. He's entering the third year of the six-year, $90 million contract that he signed in 2019. If the Cowboys were to release him now, he would cost almost $14 million against the cap in 2021 and would cost $24.5 million in dead cap space if the Cowboys released him. Next year, though, if Elliott can't regain the form, especially with the money that he's making, Elliott's cap number increases to $16.5 million, while his dead cap number drops to $10.8 million should the Cowboys cut him, which means that Dallas would save about $5, $6 million in cap space in 2022 if they cut him outright. And the way that the league is going, hey, the running backs, for the most part, are not the focal point of the team anymore. So, look, you take a look at where the Dallas offense lies as far as the strengths are concerned. It's in the wide receivers. Amari Cooper played very well last season, 92 catches for 1,114 yards, five touchdowns. He became the first Cowboy to reach 90 receptions in the season since Des Bryant did it in 2012 and 2013. He caught 72% of his 128 targets, and uh, that's the best percentage of any Cowboy wide receiver. So you would have to think, that getting Dak Prescott back, that those numbers would only elevate his importance, would only elevate his impact. Speaking of Amari Cooper, would only elevate. And then C.D. Lamb, the number 17 pick out of Oklahoma, he had a very productive rookie season. He broke all types of team rookie records for most receptions and yards in the season. And he worked very well with Prescott. The, the, the key for Dallas is going to be that defense. Because as well as Prescott was playing, that defense was horrendous. As well as Prescott was playing before he got injured, the team was 2-3. and three, And you couldn't put any of those losses, the three losses, on Prescott and what he did. But when you give up the fifth most points per game in the NFL last season with your opponents only almost averaging 30, they need a pass rusher. They need a cover corner. Alden Smith, he's a free agent. I mean, he's nice. Good rebound from all the troubles that he had, which... I derailed his career when he was with Oakland and when he was with San Francisco, but you know he's ready to hit the free agent market. And even if you do resign him, is that a pass rusher that you're gonna that, that people are gonna fear, that teams are gonna fear on a consistent basis? We'll see what new defensive coordinator Dan Quinn can do with this defense. But still, you know X's and O's don't beat Jimmy's and Joe's. So if you take a look at the Dallas's first uh, draft picks for this year. They draft number 10, 44, 75, 99, 115, 138, 179, 194, 236. Hut, hut, the majority of those picks should be used on defense. Should be used on defense. So even though from an offensive standpoint, even though from a quote-unquote name recognition standpoint for Dallas, 
even with Dak Prescott coming back and even less going on the assumption that he can return to form quicker, sooner rather than later, even with the wide receivers that they have, even with uh, the skill players that they have, even with an aging but still pretty good offensive line, if the Cowboys are going to be competing, not just for divisional championships, but be real players once the playoffs see what the playoff season hits, then they've got to do something about that defense. Got to do something about that defense. That's going to be more important than the return of Dak Prescott, in my opinion, because he can throw for 5,000 yards if he wants to. The defense sucks. Then take a look at the Super Bowl. You have no chance. And with the Buccaneers trying to do everything that they can to uh, bring that team back into place, when you take a look at, depending upon who the Chicago Bears get, that defense is going to be stellar. When you take a look at, depending upon who the Washington football team gets, that defense is going to be stellar. When you take a look at the NFC North and you still have Aaron Rodgers in there, when you take a look at the NFC West and you see the acquisitions that the L.A. Rams made, depending upon what happens with Seattle and Russell Wilson, they're still going to be someone that they have to uh, be to uh, to be concerned with. So the signing of Dak Prescott, whether it elevates the team to the status of them being true championship contenders, that's not going to be the determining factor. The determining factor for the success of the Cowboys for the 2021 season is going to be that defense. Can it get it done? Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. I don't know if this is going to be my last segment of the program or not. I have no idea. I am getting to be sleepy time for me. So what I'm going to do is I am just going to plow through the information, plow through the stuff that I want to talk about concerning the second half of the NBA, which is starting tonight, and uh, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. So one of the main storylines for the second half of the NBA season, of course, dealing with COVID is going to be a huge thing. What NBA commissioner uh, Adam Silver said about it on Saturday, he said that the league will not require anyone to get a COVID-19 vaccine, but he believes most players will ultimately choose to do so. And part of Silver's logic behind why players will even want to get a vaccine that it will make their lives simpler. Under the NBA's health and safety protocols, players have to be tested up to three times a day and are subjugated to quarantine periods if they have been in close contact with someone who has tested positive. If you don't know, the NBA 
has had to postpone 31 games because of league health and safety protocols. And several teams, speaking about my Washington Wizards, the Memphis Grizzlies, and the San Antonio Spurs, Spurs who are going to be back in action tonight, have missed multiple games because there weren't enough players available to suit up. Even if we're speaking about, well, couldn't they just get players from the G League? Yeah, well, you know, those players have to be quarantined. I mean, you just can't go from one state to another and then everything is good, roaring, ready to go, except now for Texas. So leading up to that, you know, when players would go into certain states, they would have to be quarantined. So if, for instance, someone came down, if four players from Team X came down with COVID or were in uh, COVID protocols because they came in contact with someone who tested positive and because they needed to be tested positive, they needed to bring four players over from the G League. And if the NBA team is in is in Florida and the G League team is in Georgia, well, those guys coming from Georgia would have to be quarantined. So it wouldn't be a matter of they get on the plane this morning and they're at the arena and they're playing for the NBA team that night. There's some other things that, that go into it. But Silver is saying if those guys, if the NBA players go ahead and get themselves this vaccine, then again, some of those things would be, uh, they wouldn't have to do. You're speaking right now with these protocols. Basically, look, if you're not playing basketball games, if you're not going to the shopping center to get some food or something like that, then the NBA is saying you should be at home. If you're on the road, for instance, if a team is on an Eastern Conference swing or a Western Conference swing or the West Coast swing or down south and they're playing the uh, Triangle of Doom, the uh, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio uh, type of schedule, when those teams are on the road, they're in their rooms. They're not getting in and they're not going to a movie. They're not hanging out at a club. They can't go out and get something to eat. It's off the plane into the hotel room and they're there. They're stuck there until it's time to play the game, whether it be that afternoon or that evening. So what Silver is saying that some of those things can be laxed if you guys went out and got the vaccine. Again, what the NBA players are saying though, well, you know, number one, how well do we know this? How well is this vaccine going to be for us? Is it going to work? This, that, and the other. Also, you know, you hear people, especially who've taken different, you know, vaccines from different uh, companies where you have to take two shots of the vaccine. The second shot, you uh, have symptoms and such as you become ill or you get a fever or you get a headache or, or, or those type of things. So even if these guys do get a get the vaccine, Aren't they going to be out for a game or two anyway? There's a couple of places where I've substituted because the teacher has gotten, the regular teacher has gotten themselves a COVID uh, vaccine shot and has put them down for the week. So are we going to be speaking about that? If the player goes ahead and gets the shot, that all of a sudden they're going to be down for a week and what type of lingering effects is it going to have? Jason Tatum is still battling uh, the COVID, getting the COVID, but, you know, depending upon teams, uh, a player's immune system or something like that, how well is he going to take to the vaccine? Is this going to happen on the first shot? Is it going to happen on the second shot? How many days are these symptoms going to last? So all of these things also play into a, uh, a player's decision. Also, in this country, there's a big discussion about vaccines. The government, I'm not taking anything from the government. Black folks, black community has had their apprehension about trusting the government, rightfully so, myself, rightfully so, about um, the situation, about taking the vaccine. 
Um, who knows? It's a it's a it's a delicate discussion to have. And again, who are we speaking about here in terms of it would be great for the players to be taking this vaccine? I mean, I'm quite sure if LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant and James Harden and Giannis and Luca and you know the top players in the NBA, all those guys that you saw at the All Star Game, if all those guys got themselves the vaccine, then the NBA would be like, whew, all right, nice job. But for instance, if you're on the Los Angeles Lakers and players 8 through 12 get the vaccine, but LeBron James and Anthony Davis don't, I mean, how happy is the NBA? If the Brooklyn Nets, if the majority of the players in the Brooklyn Nets take the vaccine, but KD and Kyrie and James Harden don't, well, I mean, how is the NBA going to feel? Or how are the league going to feel? How is the franchise ownership group going to feel. So so all of those things come into play. And, that's, and I've said it before. When you hear these players speak about their mistrust in terms of um, uh, taking a vaccine because they don't know what it's going to do to them. Those guys are in a position where their fears and their apprehensions are... They're not on the same level. They're not on the same plane. Sometimes I think they're trying to equate the, well, you know, I don't know about the government. You know how they treat my community. You know how they treat black folks. How do I know this is going to be good? This is one time where the stature of these black men, you know, Malcolm X always said, what, do you, what does a white guy call a, a black man with a PhD and lots of money and this, that, and the other? They call him a nigger, of course. In this situation, I think it's a little bit different because we're speaking about LeBron James, we're speaking about these basketball players, these six, seven, eight-figure income-type guys per year, their importance to their franchise, the importance that they have to the league, the importance that they're going to have to TV uh, execs and advertisers, that there would, there, would be no, there would be no reason for the NBA or anybody to try to get sick or to use the NBA players as guinea pigs, experimental guinea pigs. Now, you're speaking about someone in West Las Vegas. You're speaking about someone in East LA. You're speaking about someone in Southeast DC. You're speaking about someone in Liberty City. You're speaking about someone in Southside of Chicago. You're speaking about one of them residents. You're speaking about one of them folks. You're speaking about the guy who's working nine to five. You're speaking about the guy who's really um, doing nothing more than surviving. You're, you're, you're Speaking about those people, yeah, the apprehension is there. The apprehension is real. If you're speaking about someone of the stature of LeBron James or of a Kevin Durant or of that type of level, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that those guys are going to have the best information. Those guys are going to have the best avenues to go down in terms of getting the vaccine. So any of their apprehension about, well, I don't know, they might be fucking with us. Don't think that's going to be the case when it comes to uh, taking a vaccine and such. So, look, I I'm not saying that that's the main reason why LeBron and players of his ilk and that caliber and that importance are hesitant about going ahead and taking the vaccine. But I think when those players and the stature that they have start identifying themselves, the reason why they won't take the vaccine with the guy who's uh, living in the, uh, who's living in the, uh, in, in the ghetto or in the poverty level line, Think that's think that's a little bit too much for uh, for those guys. I think that might be a little bit too much of a stretch 
for those guys to be making. Wendell's World of Sports podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, yeah, look, you know, and, and Bill Russell got the vaccine. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar got the vaccine. Nobody, nobody, and I mean fucking nobody from my from uh from the black community from my community. Nobody better call them those two sellouts. Nobody better nobody better call Bill Russell or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar any disparaging words, any type of their pup, their puppets, their dupes, their uh, house negro. None of that kind of bullshit. Fuck you, you ignorant bastards! If you say something like that. You are showing your ignorance. You are showing your stupidity. You are showing this your how, how fucking dumb you are. I mean, how anybody? Because you know, I heard that you know people were calling Kareem a sellout because he took the vaccine. Who the fuck are you to be calling Kareem Abdul-Jabbar a sellout? Who the fuck are you? Bullshit! Absolute bullshit! Kareem for our community should be held as a deity. Kareem and Bill Russell are the reasons why my generation, your fucking generation, gets to do the things that we do, get to have the freedom that we have. Kareem and Bill Russell make sacrifices for the betterment of you and for me that both of us wouldn't even think about doing. And the fact that you're stupid enough, the fact that you're ignorant enough to call that man a sellout because he took a vaccine? Who's the ignorant one here? Who's the stupid one on this situation? You guys are going to be clowning fucking Bill Russell. Who sounds stupid on that situation? Who sounds stupid in that scenario? So, yeah, I mean, did it sway me one way or the other? No, but the fact that Bill Russell says, hey, you know what? Got the vaccine, you should too. That For me, that's going to that's gonna weigh a little bit. If Kareem says that, that's going to weigh for me a little bit. And I don't think that they're dupes or sellouts or clowns or house negroes or stepping and fetching. Nonsense. Our community has got to do better. Got to do way better. When I say that this country has the stupidest people on the planet, I'm not just talking about one group of people. <laughs> Believe I, I ain't talking about just one community. I mean, my community has plenty of stupid ass folks in it to where it's like, yeah, we're, we, we're, we, uh, we live up to that moniker very well. Someone wants to say that we're the stupidest country in the world going. Yeah, we um, we uh, contribute to that moniker very well with some of the shit we say and do. And and there's one example. Fucking dumbasses in our community are going to be sitting there t- disparaging, insulting Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that way. You're the ignorant one, not them. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, I mentioned it before, should the league mandate for the players to take the vaccine? I mean, what exactly are we going to do here? Who knows? I don't think you can mandate anything. I think the partnership between the league and the owners or is strong enough to where, you know, something can get done, something that needs to get done. So, those are the things. You know what? That kind of tirade that I had about um, folks on my side of the tracks, folks in my community, my black brothers and sisters, ignorant enough to be speaking about Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in such disparaging terms because of them getting the vaccine, filming that PSA for the NBA about them getting the vaccine. That, that gave me so much juice. That gave me so much ammunition. That gave me so much, uh, such a, a energetic pick-me-up 
But man, I'm ready to talk about what's happening for the second half of the season in terms of what's going down with the Brooklyn Nets, what's going down with the Milwaukee Bucks, what's going down with the Los Angeles Lakers, what's going down with the MVP award. MVP award. So I'm ready, roaring ready to go. And I'm going to start as soon as I get up and boogie a little bit. Let me boogie. <laughs> Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Quick final segment of the program, so get yourself ready. Get yourself prepared. Very quickly, I'm going to get into what's happening in the NBA. I was just reading some stuff, and I found out that LaMarcus Aldridge and the San Antonio Spurs have agreed to mutually depart, that the Spurs are not going to release him, that they're going to go ahead and try to uh, trade him, which uh, is going to be interesting. Very interesting to see teams like the Boston Celtics, see teams like the Miami Heat, see teams like the Brooklyn Nets, see teams uh, maybe in the Western Conference, uh, see what they can do to get themselves a guy, even though Aldridge is about 34, 35 years old and not the player that he once was when he first came to the Spurs and came to the, uh, or, or with the player with the Portland Trailblazers. But still, as far as guys that are available, shall we say, I think LaMarcus Aldridge jumps to the head of the class in terms of a player that can really uh, help a team. I know that Blake Griffin just signed with the Brooklyn Nets. Even though he's not the Brooklyn, even though he's not the Blake Griffin that we all know in terms of jumping over Kias and doing tremendous things, people are saying that he's a stretch five off the bench. I'm thinking to myself, wouldn't he need more of a stretch four? If you're talking about a guy who's being hampered because of his physical being no longer the jumper no longer the athlete that he is to me to me Blake is an off the is a second tier or second team um stretch four a guy who's shooting in the mid 30s on three-point attempts um a guy who's mainly just a jump shooter now he's not even using too many back to the basket moves I, I don't know where the I don't know where the second string center narrative comes from i know that you know with that situation he's not going to be facing the best centers in the league and but still i mean again a guy who has been hampered by injuries seeing him out there at the five position even small ball five i don't know about that but with the nets you're thinking that this insurance for kevin durant um a guy who they're going to ease into the playoffs after missing last season with an achilles tear and now missing uh, games with a uh, hamstring injury and still dealing with that. I think that would be more his speed. I mean, him and Jeff Green maybe can switch a little time, but I think the, the, the Nets still need a uh, true a, a true center, a true rim protector, somewhat of a rim protector. You're not going to get an elite or a very good rim protector out there in a free agent market, but I think you need someone of a bigger size which would bring bigger value to the defensive end than a, than a Blake Griffin. But he, he's going to the Nets. Don't know exactly how much that helps them. I've, I've said this with the Brooklyn Nets. James Harden is the MVP of that team. He is the most reliable player on that team. 
more than anything else, him and Bruce Brown are going to decide how successful the Brooklyn Nets are going to be. And yes, I said the, 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 the name Bruce Brown. Because look, with Kevin Durant, we know about his accolades. We know about what he brings. Um, Kyrie Irving, we know what he brings. But you know who's going to defend somebody? Who's going to be doing the dirty work? Who's going to be guarding multiple positions? Who's going to be that guy that's going to dive on the loose, loose uh, on, the, on the ground for loose balls? Who is going to be a PJ Tucker type of player? I think that player is Bruce Brown. And it's going to allow Kevin Durant to do a thing. It's going to allow Kyrie Irving to do a thing, which is mainly just concentrate on the offensive side, putting the ball in the basket. And for James Harden, he brings a multitude of skills to that offense to where if he needs to score 40, he can do that. If he needs to dish out 15, 16 assists, he's going to do that. The tempo, the speed, the control of the game, that's going to be in his hands. James Harden is the point guard of that team. And the fact that, you know what, in the playoffs... The fact that he's going to have, help, hopefully, a close to 100%, 90%, 85% Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant doesn't mean that all of a sudden now, James Harden has to be the focal point of offense, both scoring and getting everybody else involved. If his shooting is not there, it's very easy for Brooklyn to still win a series, to still win a championship with him only averaging 15, 16 points a game with him dishing out 12, 13 assists, which is something that he's more incapable that he's more than capable of doing. So when we take a look at the past playoff failures in Houston with James Harden, it was because it was just so much pressure put on him to do everything that here with Brooklyn he doesn't have to. So um, I think with the with the Nets moving forward, they still need one more big man. They definitely still need one more one more big man. And if you're part of that triumphant at the top of the Eastern Conference with Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge is going to play big because you have a couple of teams, or you have some teams, namely Toronto, namely the Miami Heat, namely the Boston Celtics, who had a little bit bigger expectations and uh, aspirations than what the record is right now. That could be a pivotal move. Don't think that LaMarcus Aldridge is a difference maker in terms of any one of those teams that I just mentioned, Toronto, Miami, or Boston, getting the number one seed, or even getting the number two seed, maybe even getting the number three seed, but it closed the gap. If you're speaking about who's going to be that number four seed between the three that I just mentioned, and who's going to be able to uh, give Philadelphia, Brooklyn, or Milwaukee a run for their money, especially uh, Milwaukee, if you take a look at the three team three of those teams which are the most vulnerable once the free agent front the uh, playoffs happen wendell's world in sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us all right what are we going to do with the lakers here are you still panicking are you still concerned are you still want the uh you still want moves to be made you still want the lakers to go out and try to get the marcus cousins or javel mcgee or hassan Whiteside or jj reddick what are we going to do here what are we going to do? Currently, the record is 24-13. and 13. They're three and a half games behind Utah, one game behind Phoenix. I'm, I'm still not going to panic just yet. Still not going to go there just yet. Because until someone can show me, Utah included, Phoenix included, that the, or the LA Clippers included, that they can beat LeBron and AD four out of seven games, a healthy, relatively healthy LeBron and Anthony Davis, I'm still going to go with the Los Angeles Lakers. And especially, again, with Dennis Schroeder 
on their team, providing themselves a really decent third option score. The way that he works so well on the pick and roll with Montrez Harold, especially from the top of the key. I just think too much experience. LeBron is still playing at a high level, even if you think that Joel Embiid has surpassed him in terms of MVP is concerned. I still think in the Western Conference, I take a look at a Donovan Mitchell and a Rudy Gobert. I take a look at a Devin Booker and a Chris Paul. I take a look at a Luka Doncic and a uh, Christoph Porzingis. I take a look at those players. I take a look at those combinations. Outside of maybe Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, do you really see any of those guys giving AD and LeBron any type of uh, trouble? This is just a situation. Get LeBron, get AD to the playoffs. In May, starting in May, get them relatively close to 100% and everything will be fine. Home court advantage doesn't matter, especially if we're taking a look at when are these fans going to be allowed back in the arena. And with the Clippers, they play on the same court as the Lakers. So that really is no home court advantage for either side. So the Lakers can't go on the road. LeBron can't go on the road. This team can't go on the road and beat Utah when there's going to be no fans. They can't beat Denver when there's going to be no fans. They can't beat um, any, any of those squads. They can't beat Phoenix when there's no fans. The leap that the Phoenix Suns made, the acquisition of Chris Paul, had been great. Denver Booker stepped it up. DeAndre Ayton, always improving. Mikhail Bridges, excellent 3 and D guy. Their bench is pretty good. Dario Saric, Provide some scoring off the bench for those guys, playmaking. I, I just I just don't think that you can make that leap that the Phoenix Suns are trying to leap from in terms of being on just barely outside of the playoffs looking in one season to all of a sudden being real Western Conference contenders the next. I know that they didn't have Chris Paul last season. I know all that stuff. But still, 35, 35-year-old Chris Paul, even though he's playing well, don't know if he's going to be that much of a different maker, difference maker if LeBron and AD are doing their thing. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So going into the All-Star break, the Utah Jazz, who had to fight, scratch, and claw to get that third All-Star in. Gobert, sure. Mitchell, sure. But it was a situation was poor Mike Connolly. And it took a couple of injuries, namely the last one of Devin Booker, who wasn't able to play in the game, who wasn't elevated to play in the, who was, I'm sorry, not picked in the game, but once Anthony Davis went down, he was his replacement. But when Booker's knee was acting up, then it was Mike Conley's uh, replacement. So is Mike Conley an all-star? In theory, yes. But is he really an all-star if he had to be the man after the man after the man after the man couldn't make it? Interesting. Don't know. Despite that. I think Connolly has had a, a good year. And despite losing four of their last seven games before the All-Star break, the Utah Jazz still has the best record in the league at 27-9. They have the league's best point differential, almost nine points per game. That's a wide margin, by the way, between first and second place in that category. They've outscored their opponents by almost 19 points a game. The Jazz are one of two teams, the Pelicans, the Pelicans, the Pelicans, the Pelicans, being the other that rank in the in the top five in both offensive and defensive rebounding percentage. I guess with the Pelicans, when you have Zion and uh, Steven Adams, I guess maybe that's a good uh, good example why. And they have the league, speaking of Utah, they have the league's softest schedule in terms of opponents' winning percentage 
the rest of the way. Again, for Laker fans, it's fine. It's wonderful. It's great. So, with Utah, there's going to be a few games out there that are going to be tests of, of, of metal to see how great that they actually are. But they play the Lakers a couple of more times. They play the Clippers a couple of more times. That's great. That's wonderful. But, again, the playoffs are a whole different story. So, let's say, for instance, that Utah rim runs roughshod and does what it needs supposed to be doing against those elite basketball teams in the regular season. How much is that carryover going to be to the uh, playoffs? And I've mentioned it over and over and over again. When you reach the playoffs, you, you can't really out-coach or out-scheme. You can make some adjustments. You can do some things. But look, if a team is going to be playing the same team over and over again after they've played them four or five uh, times in the regular season, there are no secrets. There are no secret plays. There are no secret you know, smash this, break this glass in case of emergency. It's just going to be a matter of, are you going to be able to stop the player that's in front of you? Yeah, you can know all the Brooklyn Nets plays. That's fine. But do you have the Jimmys and the Joes to stop the KDs, the Kyries, and the Hardens? My question is going to be, for the Utah Jazz, yeah, they run a beautiful offense. Donovan, Donovan Mitchell is the guy that makes things go. For that team. Is he the guy that's going to be. Is he at that level. To be the guy that can. Lead a team. To a championship. Whether it be the NBA championship. Or the Western Conference championship. Is he that guy. Because the only other guy that can put. The ball in the basket. Without running sets. Is Jordan Clarkston. So all those, all those two main scores. Are going to be enough to compete with Kawhi and Paul George, with LeBron and Anthony Davis, with Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. Those are the questions that are going to be asked that are going to be asked to uh, have to be asked as we get down to winning time in the playoff season. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. I'm your host Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Does James Hardman Hardman Hard Harden have the juice, you can tell I'm tired. Does James Harden have the juice to get to the MVP award? Think that over. That's going to be your assignment. I'll discuss that on my next podcast because right now it's nap time. Right now it's watching Georgetown again time. Right now it's time for me to get ready for work tomorrow. Right now it's time for me to say love, peace, happiness. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being part of this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Music.